This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in-store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. Start collecting your Irish rugby stickers today. Hello and you're very welcome to the Left Wing Rugby World Cup Daily. I'm Murray O'Connor. Uh, I'm here in the uh, Kobe Stadium with Alan Quinlan, who is jumping in and, and as an impact sub for Keane Tracy and Jonathan Bradley. Um, we've both been at Andy Farrell's press conference this morning, Alan. Um, you even got in on the act, asked, asked him a question, and I got a pretty interesting answer. Before I talk to you, we'll actually play a bit of Andy's audio from the press conference, because I thought he was really interesting about what he said about Japan. Everyone trained today. Robbie Henshaw was with the team as well. And um, they, uh, he's expected to play against Samoa. Obviously, lots of changes this weekend. But uh, we asked Andy Farrell, what did he, you know, what did he make of the defensive performance in last week's defeat against Japan? That shock defeat that's caused such a stir back home. And what sort of response is he expecting? Um, obviously, we lost, so it wasn't good enough. Um, uh, there's a, a lot of disappointment within the camp. We've had a. Um, a good few meetings since then and a couple of training sessions and the, and the feel in the camp is, is, is one of back to excitement and wanted to put things right on, on the pitch on Thursday night so that can't come quick enough but as far as the defensive performance it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag Rory to, to, to be honest because um, there are certain things that I'm unbelievably proud of them for you know if you look at if you look at that bonus point at the end of Keith Earls chasing back and uh, it wasn't just that, it was the scrum and then getting back on our line and, and forcing, and, uh, whether it's an unforced error in your eyes or not, we was ready to go. Um, the three minutes just before half time when uh, they, they had a scrum on halfway and we kept them out there and Josh chasing back and making sure that he cleans up stuff. So there's some heroic stuff from, uh, from certain lads, but... Uh, yeah, it's not the usual uh, defensive um, pressured performance that you that you saw the week before, or you've seen in big performances from ourselves. There's a lot of reasons for that, and Japan have a, a massive part to play in that. Um, collision winning um, wasn't where we wanted it to be, and again, there's certain reasons for that. Three tied in a ruck from time to time. Uh, um, certain tactics that Japan used in and around the ruck to make that happen. Uh, had, a, had an effect as well, but uh, when you lose collisions, you, you tend to um, put yourself in a vulnerable position, especially especially out wide. But as I said, um, 
yeah, the, the, the stuff that was going on in and around the breakdown is something that we need to take care of ourselves. Uh, Andy, how frustrating is it for you, and I know Joe touched on it yesterday about the referee and some of the decisions, but you're trying to set a team up to be disciplined, to stay on side, Ireland's defence. Our discipline has been excellent the last couple of years. Is that, how do you cope with that and how frustrating is that for you and your players if you're trying to do the right things and you're not yeah. getting the kind of rub of the green? I suppose it's, it's like it's like any type of error that you make as a team. I was just explaining before, as far as the, the stadium here is concerned, you've got to adapt um, and have a no excuse mentality. But I think I think the only point that Joe was trying to make yesterday is that we're a disciplined side and we pride ourselves on uh, our discipline massively. You know, um, we don't want to go back into our shells. Um, in fact, we've been practicing rugby league this week. We've been going back ten meters, so um, we're not offside. You know, um, it's it's. Um, it's unfortunate uh, at, at times, but we can't let that affect ourselves. All we can do is make sure that we, we are disciplined and uh, we, we want to show that on Thursday night. And you just, how have the squad dealt with the defeat and do you still feel that this team can achieve what you, what you, what you set out to achieve despite that setback? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that uh, first. Um, I think a setback you can use it in, in, in the right manner. I think if you look at the last three World Cups, South Africa losing to um, Japan and losing the semi-final 20 points to 18. You look at the uh, 2011, uh, France seemed to be at disarray throughout that competition and uh, there's, a, there's a debate on whether they should have won or not. Uh, the, the final there. In, 20, uh, in 2007, um, I, was, I was part of the England squad that uh, got a thrashing off South Africa and there was a bit of turmoil within the, in that camp and uh, they managed to get to the final and there was a debatable uh, try that was disallowed. And so you can use these to your advantage. They're not ideal, but if you use them to your advantage, they can be powerful. And uh, as I said, after a couple of days of understanding the reasons why, uh, I think um, uh, we're in good spirits back on track and ready to prove a point. So Alan, he's a brilliant communicator, Andy Farrell. I thought he spoke really, really well today. Um, all the right messaging going home. This is a strange game. It's, it's obviously good to get back out on the pitch a couple of days after the um, shock defeat to Japan, um, which I think not many people saw coming. Russia at a World Cup, it's kind of a weird one, but with Johnny Sexton captain, it's a chance to get back out there and get a bit of a response. Yeah, it is. I think it's... Um if bar the four-day turnaround, I think if if uh, if it was seven days, I'd be putting back out the exact same team yeah. to try and fix things up quickly and and clear their minds and clear their heads. But there was plenty of mitigating factors um, in 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 why Ireland were so poor. I think uh, the conditions, um, them not managing the tempo and control of the game, some decisions went against them, and it just kind of they escalated throughout the game. At 12-3, I thought Ireland were had two early tries without having overextended themselves. They were trying to play a lot of rugby. They had a good few line breaks. Gary Ringrose was was really, really prominent and um, they were creating opportunities. And, and then it just kind of, um, a few things went against them and, and Japan started to gain confidence. So it was a, a very disappointing day. And, you know, when you have someone like Andy Farrell who comes out and speaks, um, he started, and to be fair to Joe, he didn't hide away from the performance this week. He um, he spoke about um, mistakes and errors they made and how, how they needed to be a lot better and question people often ask, are asking now is which Ireland will turn up for you know the bigger tasks ahead if you like so 
um, given what happened against Scotland and then a week later against Japan um, Ireland still should have been good enough to win that game yeah. um, even with the things that went against them and that I just mentioned and um, unfortunately they they lacked a little bit of leadership and control and, and I, I don't say that to insult the players I think you know when you're out on a pitch and there's times of adversity and crisis you need people to kind of rally together and make decisions and the, you, you sense to just lack someone to grab hold of the game put in a big tackle force a big turnover make a big carry um, so they've got to learn from this pretty quickly and, and Andy Farrell spoke about that and I think they were pretty positive and they've two choices and I said this after last weekend they can buy into the negativity and the disappointment and wallow in it or they can kind of uh, lift themselves out of it and try and progress and make sure they get into a quarter final and put themselves in a position to try and have a crack at either New Zealand or South Africa, whoever it is. Um, I don't think they got complacent. I think they were probably shocked, the players out on the field, with how much energy Japan got from the crowd and how they managed the conditions better and maybe their fitness levels. From a technical rugby point of view, they were excellent. They held on to the ball really well. They turned the ball over a, a huge amount in their opening game against Russia. So it was a massive, it was a clinical performance from yeah. Japan and, and Ireland just need to learn quickly when they're playing against a team that they're supposed to beat, how, uh, how they manage the game. And I don't think they managed it well. Now we have struggled in the last year against teams that were maybe supposed to beat us or you know England Wales yeah. um, England a couple of times in the Welsh game so they've had setbacks and a little bit of scar tissue but I, I would love for someone like you know for Andy Farrell to and he kind of um, really emphasised the point of, of sticking together and the opportunity to go out and fix the, the wrongs and, and make them right and, and have a much better performance and try and build a bit of team morale up again I covered a lot there Um I suppose the one thing that I think what I feel like there's a disconnect between people who are here and are experiencing the humidity every day um, and are, have been to the stadium. I was here on, Tuesday, on Monday night when, when Scotland uh, beat Samoa. I've never experienced anything like it. And I do think between that and the wall of noise that came down onto the pitch, Ireland got a bit frazzled and their leaders got a bit frazzled and stopped making decisions that, you know, experienced players were making decisions or trying passes that maybe they would never have tried before. So I do think the environmental challenges that Joe Schmidt talks about, and in fairness, they haven't hit behind it. He's been more about the refs, really, um, was a big, big factor. But have you ever played anywhere like this place that we're going to watch a match uh, tomorrow night um, or tomorrow morning, Irish time? Um, for, like, were you at the, the, the game on Monday? Or were you, you, were, you were elsewhere, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I mean, the... the the 30 uh, handling errors in England's game against the USA, 35 in Scotland Samoa, and all because the wet ball is wet and it's just there's no air in the, the whole place. It's a mad place to play rugby. Yeah, it's like a sauna, and I think even coming in today, and, and uh, there's no crowd here, and it's absolutely sweltering out there. And uh, some of the staff that are walking around are sweating, uh, they're just dropping off their brow. Um, the only other time that's that I would have been close to experiencing that was in in 2003 in in uh, in Samoa and yeah. we went to we played in Australia first then we played in Tonga and Samoa and um, Tonga and Samoa were very difficult the humidity was incredibly high um, I was supposed to start in the game in Samoa and uh, I got I woke up in the morning of the game sick I got some sort of food poisoning but I missed yeah. the game I actually couldn't travel to the stadium to play <coughs> to to go even go with the team I was that bad so I was in bed for the day and I remember coming back and I started when the team got back 
I, I had kind of recovered enough to walk around a bit and I, it was like a, a bunch of corpses that walked back into the hotel. Yeah. Um, there was people getting sick. There was some guys lost six, eight kilos that yeah. day. And some of the players spoke about um, just the humidity and the heat that day against Samoa, that it was, it was nothing like they'd ever experienced pain-wise. I think Ronan O'Gara said at halftime that he wasn't going back out at halftime. Um, people were getting, um, I suppose, their their brains and their minds were fried as well from the heat, and yeah. they were uh, they they were all over the shop mentally and physically. And now they won the game, and it was a brilliant win. Aidan McCullen won his first cap and and, and played instead of me that day. And um, <coughs> like I was sick, um, so even half sick, sometimes you can kind of get out there and you take a chance. But I was I was pretty bad anyway. But yeah. in the conditions, you got to be a hundred percent and. Maybe we'll look back after the World Cup and say, well, maybe the Irish team should have went somewhere to Asia or somewhere on a camp for a week where the humidity was a real problem. They did go on a warm weather camp to, to Portugal and, um, you know, England were in Italy a couple of times. and But nothing, you can't cover every avenue, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's uh, it's very difficult, but genuinely people people don't realise. So <clears throat> there was an, all those factors that I mentioned Ireland just been a little bit off in their accuracy. Japan being through to the roof with their emotion. Their accuracy was really good. Um, the crowd and all those things kind of weighed Ireland down a little bit. They still lost by, by seven points. And I look back at the game a number of times and, you know, Japan never really cut Ireland open. No. Um, we were never hanging on for dear life. They just stayed in the game. They worked themselves back into the game. I think if Ireland had probably got another score I think the, the, the scrum just on 30-35 minutes was really crucial it should have been an Irish penalty in the sense that the, the Japan loose had just went straight in at an angle yeah. Our, Japan get the penalty look th those ones happen they happen you know the crowd the emotion the referee bought into it but technically it should have been a penalty yeah. the other way and um, you know if Ireland got that penalty and they kick it over the bar it's now 15-6 Whereas, it stops the momentum, doesn't it? Yeah, it stops the momentum, and it just gave a, it would have given a little bit of more separation. And then they go up the field a few minutes later, and they get a penalty to make it twelve nine. And uh, then Jack Carty kicks off, and he kicks it dead. And you're saying, "Come again, just before half time." So we're, that that was really really crucial period. We always say that in, in sport: the few minutes before half time and a few minutes after time. Sometimes can, I know you want to start the game well and finish well, but. If games are kind of in the balance, they can be really won and lost before and after half time, and and there's they were the moments that Ireland kind of lost uh, for for one reason or another that we mentioned there, and um, so they've got got to get better. We've like in their success in the past, we've spoken about how dangerous they are. Ireland had been at half time grinding out a try before half time. Team runs off the field, or psychologically, it's a hammer blow to them. And then after half time, who's going to get that first score? Who's going to kind of take hold of the game? And to be fair to Japan, they came out after half time and their energy levels went, went higher and higher and higher. And then you just saw a little bit of maybe a lack of that control that we bought into trying to play a little bit too much, where we should have kicked better and we didn't use our kicking game throughout the game. So um, lots of things went wrong. Yeah. Are they a really bad team suddenly? No, they're not. But they. The worry for me, um, Rory, is that teams have figured out how to stop them and have figured out how to unsettle them and frustrate them. And, and, and that unsettling nature creates a bit of panic. And so the players have got to learn very, very quickly. Like Andy Farrell spoke about 2007, South Africa walloped 
uh, England 36 nil. England probably should have beaten them in the final. They recovered. Yeah. Uh, 2011, France lost twice and they get to a final. Probably should have won a final against New Zealand. 2015, South Africa were beaten by Japan. They probably, they could have beaten New Zealand in the semi-finals. Yeah, no so, one got close to them apart from, like they were the only team to get close to New Zealand. That yeah, time. they were. And um, so Ireland got to do something like that. There's baggage. They've got to deal with it. Um, they've got to try and be positive. And, and look, there's, there's a fair bit of negativity now kind of question marks around the group and um, they they take so many steps forward against Scotland and Wales in the in the game in Dublin and they showed real signs so they're a good side so they have to try and remind themselves of the good stuff to do but they've got to figure out quickly when they're unsettled um, <coughs> that they need actually to up their energy levels and actually maybe playing the opposition half a bit more because this team gets criticised for maybe not playing enough, but I actually think at times in their own half they try to play their way out yeah. rather than kick their way out. Yeah. And we've kind of gone away and maybe the, some of the criticism of kicking too much has got in their heads and they're trying to play it a little bit too much. So there's a balance there. Um, you know, everyone's talking about the scenario of a, a Ronan O'Gara type player on Saturday would just spiral the ball down in over the wingers' heads. We kicked, and when we did that, we kicked loosely. Yeah. There was a couple of kicks went straight up the midfield. It's the worst bloody possible scenario for a forward you're getting up off a rock after making cleaning out a rock or making a tackle the ball is kicked up the middle of the field and then you have a full back and wingers running straight back at you yeah. and you're like trying to get set whereas if he gets up off the ground and that ball is dribbling to touch 40-50 yeah. yards up the field it's massive yeah. you're running then with energy so those are the kind of moments that we didn't create um, so there's absolutely no doubt the players deserve criticism and They've got to take ownership of this. Yeah. And there's only so much the coaches can do. Okay, there's there's a platform and a template there. The players have got it. Like, there's guys here who've played on British and Irish lines multiple times. They've won Grand Slams. They've beaten the All Blacks. Um, they've got to take hold out in the field and actually take a grasp. And I think that's the change maybe that this group need to do. It isn't about rebelling against the, the game plan. Um, but they need to start making better decisions as a group. When that stuff happens, yeah. when they're on song, they're a brilliant side, and they showed that. You know the 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 way they managed the game against Scotland, and I know. Look, the score probably flattered us a little bit. Scotland just couldn't get back in the second half with the conditions. But is there a big performance in them in, in a few weeks' time? Yes, but I think what they have to get out of Russia first is 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 just a feel good factor, and maybe um, you know I met the Scottish team in, in my hotel last night and. What a week a different uh, what, what a week makes in sport you know yeah. whether you win or lose and th they had a great win against Samoa 34 nil and they're moving around now like people who are their World Cup is back on track yeah. sport has ups and downs that's just part and parcel of it um, this team have lost four tests in 11 in, in, in 12 months which is not not great given the resilience and steel they had so there's a real test of character in the next few weeks I do think that they can be better but Part of me then thinks, you know, are they too psychologically damaged? I hope not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Russia tomorrow is all about just trying to get a little bit of a feel-good factor. And, you know, this this could be dangerous saying this, but I think they need to go for a scoreline. Yeah. They need to kind of go for a big score here and uh, be really ruthless and not concede any soft, sloppy stuff. There is going to be turnovers. Um there is going to be missed tackles by the Russians because their set piece has been very good in Japan against Japan and Samoa, uh, but they missed 48 tackles against Japan in the first game and they missed 44 tackles against um, Samoa in the second game. So that tells you that there's going to be a disorganised uh, defence from Russia. 
Ireland have to be patient early on. There's absolutely no. You've earned the right to win these games, um, so they have to, you know, make sure that the the bread and butter stuff is all right up front. Um, that their physicality around the carries is good and their variation and way and how they're playing it, playing the game. But they've, I think they've got to go for a score here. I think there's a real pressure now to to really kick on here. The perception of the selection is, and and people would perceive it, it's it's largely a second string pack. So there's opportunities for guys like Reese Ruddock, Tygburn, John Klein. Can these guys put their hand up? Scannell, Kilcoyne has been brilliant off the bench, yeah. and I think over over all the warm ups as well. Um, Peter O'Mahony needs a big game. Yeah. He needs a big 50 minutes. He doesn't need to play the 80 minutes here. He needs a big game. Um, <clears throat> Keith Earls, Bundyaki, you know, Rob Carney needs to needs to you know get his mojo a little bit going as well. He missed the first game and. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of players have a lot to play for there, and I think they need to just get out. And in a sense, if they get a good positive result tomorrow, they they bend some of that negativity. And like I said, um, in a couple of weeks, if we when we go home, whether it's a quarter final, semi final, you know that that result will linger. They have yeah. a chance to atone for that and do something brilliant in the next few weeks. And that's what Farrell said. And like I said at the start, um, he was honest in his appraisal, saying they weren't weren't good enough. Um, They've got to be much better defensively and much better in the collisions. And, you know, I think they're still a very good side. There's a lot of good players on that field and there's a lot of good players in this Irish squad, but they've to, they to figure it out pretty quickly and yeah. show it now. Just finally, um, I mean, well, well, myself, Keane and Jonathan have been off enjoying Kobe beef and uh, seeing the sights. You've been a lot of rugby matches. I've been at a few myself. I was at Australia, Wales on Sunday and, and Scotland, Samoa on Monday. But you've seen some really interesting ones. You did a brilliant piece on Saturday about the, the Uruguay game and, and the earthquake the zone that you, you visited. And what have you made of the competition as a whole? Have you enjoyed getting out and seeing a few of the, the, the different games away from, you know, it gets you away from Ireland and the, that negativity you talked about? Um, what have you made of the whole thing? I mean, it's, it's, it, I know the conditions are difficult, but it's been, there's been a lot of good rugby. Um, <laughs> A lot of controversy over referees and stuff, but like, what's your overall sense of the tournament? Um, I'm enjoying it. I think it's uh, it's a it's a, a dream job really to be here at the World yeah. Cup. I think it's like a player playing at the top. You want to work at the World Cup and you want to be here and experience it. And uh, I think the country has just been amazing. The people have been phenomenal. Um, you know, they're so welcoming, so polite, so nice. Um, Kamashi last week was one of the most incredible experiences of my life because you know in 2011 that town was wiped out with a tsunami and there was over a thousand people killed in that town alone it was a small town right on the, on the water and it was completely wiped out and they built a rugby stadium there where two of the schools were were situated and standing in the middle of it um, you just think you're on a flat ground and there's a museum and a little memorial there and a little coffee shop and somewhere to eat something and that's it there's a few little houses being rebuilt but you look at the videos and, and on YouTube and you see a town that was beautiful, yeah. picturesque place and a little cove, if you like. And what you see now is nothing. And then a 41 foot wall where you can't look out at the sea. Um, and then the stadium is over to the right hand side as you're, as, as, you, as you're kind of facing towards the sea. And just the stories and the people um, who spoke about, um, you know, the rugby players who tried to help from the team. And Scott Fardy was one of them. Peter Alatini was another, and uh, they were playing with Kama uh, uh, the team at the time there in Kamashi, and um, P 
people wanted him to go back and train because they wanted the rugby team to kind of get going again, that they could get a lift from sport and from rugby. They loved their rugby there. And I, I, that's what's blown me away about being in Japan, the amount of people who love their rugby. Um, I think there's 137 million or something people live in Japan. Yeah. And it's a massive, massively populated country. It's a big country as well. But there's a real passion for rugby here. And that was really mind-blowing to think that uh, the rugby team are out helping in the recovery and they're trying to clear up that the local people who've lost loved ones and family members have literally gone, please, you go back training. We want to see you play at the weekend and we want you to go back and get ready for the season. So that was amazing, that whole thing. And then Fiji, Uruguay, the way the game played out, it was just uh, it was kind of fitting that Uruguay, the underdog, would, would get a result. I don't think Fiji respected the game properly and that kind of most probably damaged them to a point yeah. that their World Cup is, was only hanging on by a tread. Um, but look, we've uh, they probably needed Wales to beat, or Australia to beat yeah, Wales yeah. to bring them back into it. But um, uh, that was that was an amazing experience. And then I came down to um, to watch the Ireland game in Shizuoka and uh, that was disappointing. <laughs> a few more Japanese people fell in love with rugby that day. Yeah, I did it. Do you know what? It was um, uh, it was it was just amazing. The whole atmosphere, and I said it to someone walking out of the ground. I said, you know what? Even if these people lost the game, they'd still be smiling the way they are. They're just an amazing, amazing people. Um, but it was it was special. It was a shame it was Ireland because it was it's an incredible story and it's massive for rugby here and the World Cup. And then I went to see Georgia and um, and Uruguay the next day in Kumagai, which is I was back to Tokyo that night and two hour drive the following morning. So I spent a lot of time in cars last weekend, not bullet trains and. Uh, and uh, that wasn't a great game. Georgia beat Uruguay. They were wrecked from the week before. Yeah. The emotional high. They had a quick turnaround and uh, did that game on, on Sunday. And a uh, bit, bit of a down day in Tokyo. And then travelled down here. So it's been fairly. It's been busy. I've I've uh, five games done in about eight, eight days. And um, uh, it's been good though. I'm, I have a couple of more games coming up. So hopefully Ireland can get back on track. And it's a real. It's look. It's a nice experience. I think one of the things about the World Cup, and that was part of your question, is. I think the refereeing has been poor and the biggest frustration for me is the offside line. Yeah. It's destroying the game. It's and listen, from coming from me who was probably offside most <laughs> of my career, um, you you'll do it as players. You'll cre- you'll creep up that yeah. that hindmost foot and you'll you'll come halfway up the rock if you can get away with it. And we particularly when we go close to the line when a team is picking and going, there's so many offsides and it's costing the game. I think it's cost it's affecting the attack as well because even out the field when teams are just getting off the line and all defensive coaches want their teams to get off the line really quickly but I just think there's a half a yard that needs to be given for both sides and all teams are doing this and it was something that was mentioned before the World Cup that this would be managed and policed properly by the referees. It hasn't. Now, in the referees' defence, it's very difficult when they're looking in at the rook, looking at the ball to try and scan across the back line. Um, The assistant referees need to help better. Um, do they need to intervene and start calling? You know, it's it's difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. But I think the ones that are slow rocks, referees need to be really more, way more stringent. And then we may see a little bit more time and space and for the ball carrier, so he can put a bit of footwork on. And it's part of a bigger picture. I think that if we get a yard behind the hindmost foot, not just behind it, but a yard behind it, um, going forward in 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 the game of rugby. You will then get better attack, you'll get less collisions, you'll have more time on the ball, people can step, they can look for gaps. 
the way it is at the moment, it's just when it's static, people are in three-point starts, they're shooting off the line and yeah. there's massive collisions. Well, Andy Farrell said they've been uh, practicing rugby league and training going back 10 yards, 10 metres to stay on side. I think his tongue was probably in cheek. But we'll see the results here in Kobe tomorrow night. We'll be back for a po- with a podcast in the aftermath of our, what we I think we're all expecting to be a fairly significant Ireland, not significant, but a, a fairly hefty Ireland win over a, a fairly limited Russian side. Quinny, thanks very much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your trip. I'm sure we'll be catching up with you again. And to all the listeners, thanks for joining us. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.